All right. Good morning, everybody. This morning, if you want to turn your Bibles to, uh, where are we? Psalm, uh, I studied something. 106, that's right. Several things going on here. We'll run through the uh, announcements as fast as we can. We have communion today and a long chapter. So, worship night, that's, oh, we have, can you get the, is there another slide that says bridge on it? It's at the bridge. It's not here. It's our joint worship night. Um, and that's going to be coming up here quickly, March 19th at 6 p.m. They don't do it now, next time, whenever. And what's that? And then the next uh, thing, there we go. Women's luncheon is March 25th, 1030 to 3. And then we have a Good Friday service that we're going to do this year. That's at 7 p.m. on a Friday night, obviously. And then a sunrise service, 645 is what we've timed it. We think that'll be about right to get into the, some worship, and the sun will be just peeking over right, right around 702, I think, or something like that, or 650 or something like that. So right around there. And then we'll also have our other services. If you don't want to do the sunrise, we'll have a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. So, And I think that's it. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. The worship was, uh, was beautiful, and we pray that you were blessed. Um, we pray that your word would touch our hearts um, equally, Lord, that it would just change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a tough chapter. Um, the psalmist here writes of a, a beautiful time with the Lord and doesn't understand why it's so difficult for the nation of Israel to to stay faithful. And um, it, 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 it's it, the way I studied it and the way my cross-references go, it, sounds a, it, it may sound a little um, scolding. I'm not assuming that anybody in here is being unfaithful to the Lord, but um, it's hard to not read this and, and think, boy, we better be careful about ourselves. And, and as I'm doing my worship here this morning, I think God toned me down a little bit in the sense that the the reason I'm passionate about it is because Jesus is so worthy of all of us and of all, all we have. The, the fact that there is a divided heart with somebody when it comes to Jesus Christ means they don't know him well enough because he's so worthy. He's so perfect. Um, and so that's that's where this chapter comes from. The writer here begins with hallelujah. We learned that last week. Praise the Lord is hallelujah in Hebrew. And he ends with hallelujah. And there's a reason we don't just say hallelujah. There is the song hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But we do say yah eventually because yah is the, the name part. I don't just say praise, praise, praise. It's a person. And we need to put his name at the end of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Praise the Lord. He's worthy of praise. Not everything's worthy of praise, and nor is everybody worthy of praise, but he is worthy of praise. And so that's why we say, hallelujah. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and who, who does righteousness at all times. Um, 
it's not that he's saying we we can't say all the things that we need to say about the Lord. He's just saying there's just too many of them to name. We should definitely try. We should definitely give it a shot. Because his mercy endures forever and his mighty acts are abundant, we can take a long time and and praise him for all that he's done for us. If we can't think of the things that God's done for us, that's time to reflect and time to pray and seek the Lord and let him remind you of all the good. We sang a song like that today, of all the good things, all the blessings of God in our lives. Too good, not worthy, you know. And so his response here, and this is, this is setting us up for the psalm, blessed are those who keep justice and does righteousness at all times. I think sometimes we get a disconnect between grace, mercy, and justice. I think we do. Oh, I'm supposed to be gracious and merciful, but I'm also supposed to love justice. But, I mean, if I really love justice and I wouldn't give out grace and mercy, I'd do the right thing. People would be punished for whatever they do. And so you struggle between those, those terms. And the grace and the mercies for other people, we're still, I think that's what the psalmist is getting at here, we're required to do justice. We need to do justice. I need to walk justly in fairness to everybody around me. I'm not expecting it from them. They get grace and mercy from me. But as far as I'm concerned, as the psalmist is concerned, as far as God is concerned, I want to do righteousness all the time. And I want to keep justice. I want to do that. I think that's appropriate. And the more people that do that, honestly, the less grace and mercy we have to give out to each other. So it's a win-win either way. But they're not juxtaposed. I think they're just, it's who. We keep justice. We do righteousness. We're required to do that. I have a lot of cross-references. I gave them to Aaron this morning, and I even took a tap, put a tap. You don't have to do all these. There's way too many of them. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to run through these, and they're going to be too many to write down. Probably I'll put them in the comments of the Facebook post today so you don't have to try to keep up. Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. We're called to this. It's a blessing to keep his testimonies. Our, our way is right when we keep his testimonies. It makes our lives a lot easier. Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hearing it isn't good enough. Keeping it is what the point is. It's no good to give instructions if they're not going to be followed, right? Um, and so Jesus is making it very clear. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. As we lead into this chapter, he's going to encourage us to separate ourselves, to become sanctified and to not mingle our faith. That's a word you can probably remember for the entire chapter. Don't mingle your faith with anything else. It needs to be pure and kept pure. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Revelation says it many times in three different places. Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Keeping these things is the key. Revelation 16.15, a few chapters later, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The garment, of course, is the righteousness of Christ. Don't mingle it with anything. Don't spot it up. Don't stain it. And he's not talking about sin. That's what the garment covers. 
what he's talking about is mixing it with other things, accessorizing the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ alone. Faith, trusting in him, adding nothing to what Christ has done on the cross. You can't. And then finally, Revelation 22.7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keep, keep, keep. We're called to keep. Verse 4, back in Psalm 106, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. Oh, visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. If I keep justice, if I do righteousness, God says, along with that promise, there are blessings. There is benefits for walking with the Lord. We don't just do it because that's what he wants. And it's detrimental to our health or detrimental to our spirituality. No, it's, it's good for us. It's, it's the best. You know, I complain when it rains. I complain when it's hot. I complain if the weather isn't just exactly what I want. And to the point where some of us move to places where it's exactly the kind of weather we like. I'm going to the desert. I'm going to Arizona. Do you know why it's a desert? Because it doesn't rain there. You've got to have rain if you want lush. Oh, it's so dry here. I wish, I wish there was some other than cactus around here. Well, you, it can't happen there because it needs those other seasons to make that take place. Okay, Louisiana, that's lush and warm. Yeah, but you got bugs. I mean, you got bugs like you've never seen bugs before. They're everywhere, in everything, you know. (laughs) They call them palmetto bugs. You know what a palmetto bug is? It's a cockroach. We're the palmetto state. We're the palmetto. Nobody's, we're the cockroach state. No one lived there, right? You know why you have bugs? Because you don't have winter. You got to kill off those things, you know. Oh, it's a hard, cold winter. Yeah, but there's not going to be as many ticks this year. See, we made Westerners here. We're living in the right spot. All right. <laughs> Patted ourselves on the back enough. Spiritually, we need every single season to become healthy, strong, solid, Bible-loving, Jesus-loving, Jesus-worshipping Christians. We got to have them all. So it makes us grow. So it keeps us going. In Psalm 1, I won't read the whole thing, but we had all of our kids memorize Psalm 1, the entire chapter. It's really short, but here's part of it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. There is a benefit to walking with the Lord. And all the psalmist is saying is, I'm going to keep and I'm going to do. I want to see the benefits of that. I think that's fair for all of us. Verse 6, we have sinned with our fathers. In other words, we haven't kept and we haven't done. And that's why we haven't seen the benefit in the nation of Israel. So he's going to go over some of his history. 
We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled at the sea, the Red Sea. And they're talking about before it opened up for them. See, I think of the rebellion of the nation of Israel way after that. The calf is when I kind of think of the first rebellion. He's saying, no, we rebelled right there at the shore. I'm thinking, what did, what did they do? I'm trying to think of the verbiage. What, what did they say? What was so bad? I mean, they were in a panic. They were running. Their back was to the sea. The Egyptian army was there. The pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke. I mean, I don't remember the rebellion necessarily. I read it again. And it is. They, had, they lacked faith. They didn't believe God was, we're going to die. And so the psalmist here, he says, we should have never thought that way because we've already forgotten the last 10 plagues that they put the nation of Egypt through to get us out. And we're standing here with these buckets of gold and everything else they took from Egypt. And we're worried now, like this is it. Like God went, oh, sorry about the, I got you between a rock and a hard place, you know. And they, they lack the faith of God being able to get them through that. And so he's starting off with that. We didn't even get a couple miles outside of Egypt before we started to doubt God's faithfulness in our life. How quickly we forget, he says. It says in verse 14, 2 um, Chronicles 7, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a very important verse. We use it a lot. And we think, well, maybe we should, maybe we should do that for our nation of America, United States of America. We need to pray this way. And I, we should, absolutely. But there's a lot going on in that verse he's not asking us to pray for things to go the way we want them to. He's saying there's a lot of things we have to do. God, will you forgive us our sin? Will you, will you help us to turn from our wicked ways? He, he, can't, he can't not judge our nation until the wicked ways, you know? We can't be praying, God, just overlook all that stuff. We're going to continue on the same path we've been going away from you doing more wickedly than all the earth has ever seen in the history of mankind. We're going to keep doing that. Just don't judge us, please. That's not a prayer. And that's not what God will answer. There's a lot going on here. See, it's a, the writer here says, I know we're supposed to keep justice. We're supposed to do righteous and then we'll see benefits. But here's where we are. And then the second Chronicles brings into play what we need to do to get to the benefits, you see. It's a struggle. I pray for our nation. I, I, I don't pray for him not to judge us, though. I pray for him to straighten us out. I'm amazed. at here, Here's how the nation gets straightened out. We tell as many people about Jesus as possible, and they get saved. When they get saved, then sin goes away. Now, I'm all for legislating morality. In fact, every single law that we have on the books is legislation of morality. That's what it is. Um, and, and it's by force. You, you, it's enforced with the law or with, with law enforcement behind it. There's, 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 there's force. So even if you don't want to obey the law, you're going to obey the law. 
Well, we want to get to a much deeper place than that in our country to where it's our hearts. I don't want to sin. The law doesn't keep me from sinning. My love for God keeps me from sinning, which of course is the entire Bible in a nutshell. I don't want to not sin because I read the Ten Commandments, and if I do, I'm going to hell. I want to not sin because I love Jesus so much. I want Him to change my heart from the inside out. I want Him to change my mind. I want Him to change the way I think about these things. Verse 8, Nevertheless, He saved them for His name's sake. Even though they weren't sure how they were going to get out of it, he decided to open up the sea and let them through. He saved them for his namesake that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths. You can circle that because that puts to shame the theory of the Sea of Reeds. He led them through the depths, not the one foot of water on that funny ridge that's in the Sea of Reeds where a wind blew and got the water out of the way so they could kind of balance a million people, by the way, on this ridge across the Sea of Reeds. It really wasn't as bad as the Bible makes it out to be. That's the theory. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. His, uh, his willingness to overlook their lack of faith, but to do it because of his name, is noble on his part, but embarrassing for me in my life. You know, I don't want God to do those things for me. I mean, I do want him to do those things for me. I don't want him to need to do those things for me. I know you're panicking and you're lacking faith and that you need me to step in. I wish you'd remember all the things I've done in the past, but for my name's sake, I will step in and take care of you. Verse 11, the waters covered their enemies, again, not shallow. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise, and we do that as soon as we're out of trouble, you know. And, and, and I laugh because there's, I'm guilty of it too. I think we all are. Praising God is a lot easier right after He's delivered me from some sin or hardship in my life. Soon though, they soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. That's the payment. That's the, uh, that's the trade-off. Oh God, I have this desire in my heart. I know it's lustful. I know it's the flesh. But please give this to me. And at times he'll do that. But it brings leanness to the soul. Which is more important to me. Fat, rich soul. A close relationship with God. Or the things that I want. And distance from him. He gave them that leanness. Now they regretted it. And what he's talking about there is, he's talking about the quail. Oh, the, I remember in Egypt, the, the pots of meat, they said in this text. The pots of meat. You know, and they forget the whippings and the beatings and the deaths and the treating and the lack of freedom and slavery and all. But the pots of meat... So he gave them that, but leanness of the soul, distance between God. 
I'm very careful, or I need to be more careful about how I pray and what I pray for. I have hardships like anybody else. It's as difficult for me to show up at church and teach as it is for anybody else in this room. I'm a man like anybody else. I don't show up and saying, this is... This morning was early for me. My clock was way off, and I don't mean an hour early. I got up at 3.30 this morning and could not go back to sleep. And for me, that's early. Some of you are like, I do that every day. I don't know. I don't. (laughs) And so the flesh is definitely, there's a war that gets waged, you know. I'd be careful how I pray, though, that I don't pray in the flesh. Take some time. When I take some time or we take some time in Thanksgiving first and talking to God about what he's done for us in the past, going over our history just a little bit, even if it's recent history, does help us when we pray for what we came to God for to begin with. Because it may change our prayer by the time we actually get to the subject line of our prayer. Eh, Maybe I don't want that after all. That is how I got in trouble last time. Or that is how I felt distant from God last time. Or whatever it may be. God protects us through that. Yeah, they forgot the Red Sea. They forgot the ten plagues. They forgot His faithfulness. And then they complained some more, grumbled about their lack of food and meat. Verse 16, when they envied Moses in the camp another time. And Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered uh, the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. He's talking about the rebellion of Korah. And that's in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. A terrible time where they thought that anybody could lead. It didn't matter whether God chose or I'm qualified. Well, that was never the issue. Moses was qualified, kind of. Korah was qualified. Many people were qualified. All the people could prophesy, remember? The difference was who God had chosen. That was it. It wasn't that there was a qualification problem, although that's what they felt. And of course, they had a different trajectory. Korah says, I'm heading back to Egypt as soon as I'm in charge. And now you know why God chose of the two qualified men, Moses. Because Moses wanted to follow God, and Korah wanted to follow the world. Both qualified to lead millions of people, but one was going to lead them to hell, and the other was going to lead them towards God's promised land. So God took care of it. Moses let God choose. And he's just remembering that. How quickly we want to go back. Verse 19, the calf they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. And he means that in the derogatory way that it sounds. The glory of God that brought the ten plagues, the fire, the smoke, the burning mountain right now, and Moses is up on it, and all the things that God did, the parting of the Red Sea, I think a cow did it. You brought the glory of God and turned it into a grass-eating cow. I have a few cows. And as sweet as they are, they're the dumbest things I've ever seen. Sweet, sweet. I like that they're dumb. I like that I'm a little smarter than them. I think, you know, it helps. 
but they just have this vacant look on their face, you know. They're just amazed at everything. We were trying, uh, when he came out to pull the, before you came out to pull my truck out, and thank you, by the way, pulled my truck out, jerked it out with a 1970 what? 1968 Chevy pickup truck, locked it into four-wheel drive, jerked out my newer <laughs> truck right out of there. Just jerked it out of there. It was amazing, you know. Well, beforehand, I had my rope all tied to my truck and all the way up to Jenny's Highlander. I thought, well, maybe we could get some grip further up the hill and give it just a little that it needed. No sooner had I strung out the wire, all the cows just came right over to it. And they're just sniffing it and looking at it. And I'm like, it's a rope. You dumb cow, it's a rope. You can see how this is embarrassing. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. A grass-eating cow? It's offensive. It's offensive. It's offensive. When we diminish God to anything other than He is, when we diminish the work of the cross for anything other than it was, when we divide our hearts and our time between Jesus and other things, it's offensive. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy him or destroy them. Don't kill him, God. Get out of my way, Moses. Verse 24. Then, as if that wasn't bad enough, they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word. Sent in the ten spies. Two came back, Caleb and Joshua. We can do this thing. The other eight said, there ain't no way we're going to do this thing. God's brought us here to die. That's their mantra. Everybody that wants to go back to the world, back to Egypt, is saying, God's brought us here to die. They see nothing but hardship. They reject it. They despised the land, and they complained in their tents. They did not heed the voice of the Lord. I underlined that. We complain and grumble in our homes about all sorts of things. We can do it in the car. That could be our tent. We do it where we don't think too many people are going to hear us. We complain and we grumble in our tents. They don't go right up to God and say it to His face. They're just talking amongst each other about this, that, or the other thing. What a danger. They didn't heed the voice of the Lord. That's very, very common. And I've said this too many times probably this month, so I won't, well, I'll probably, I'm going to remind you. When we diminish the Lord or don't walk with the Lord in our homes, it's no wonder our kids don't walk with the Lord. Why would they? It's not real. I only see you act that way, dad, mom, at church or in front of other believers. When they're not around, you complain in your tent, so therefore they heed not the voice of the Lord. It's very common. Therefore, he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. He was upset. And I don't blame him, right? 
What have I done that has caused you to doubt me? What have I done that makes you think that I'm out to kill you? I brought you out of the land to destroy you. Difficulties? You think that's, that's enough reason for you to look at me and call me what you call me? To grumble and complain about me? I'm done, he says. The nation of Israel, they joined themselves also to Baal of Peor. Those are the Moabites. And ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. We should be very thankful for the cross. We don't do Phineas stuff anymore. The Moabites had come down there. They had stalled. The nation of Israel had stalled in the land, basically, you know, stuck. And the Moabites were all around them, and they started inviting them to their feast, and they started inviting them to their feast. They started intermarrying and doing other things in their tents with the gals and the guys, everybody blending and mixing it up with unbelievers and different faiths. And Phineas saw two of them as Godhead. You can read this in Numbers chapter 25. That's where it's all laid out for us. Phineas was hardcore on God's side. Understood what was happening. Saw the things happening. Saw this man and the woman. A woman was a Moabite. The other guy was an Israeli. He runs up with his spear, seeing them. I would imagine they were in the middle of something. Because he runs his spear through both of them. And then the plague ends. There are times when you see enough sin in this world that you just wish you had about ten spears. Maybe. Now, maybe that's how we squash this and stop this. Maybe if we got rid of enough of this, you know. But that's not what God calls us to do after the cross, is it? And it's amazing how much easier it is to talk about spears, guns, and other things to squash, stop sin, as opposed to doing the one thing that works, which we start at the beginning of the teaching with, and that's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and the people we run into every day. I'll throw a spear all day long, share the gospel. I don't want to bother anybody, but I'll kill them if you want me to. And I don't say we all think that way. Some of us don't think about it at all. Spears or gospel. I don't know if that's worse. The way this world changes, the disciples knew this, the apostles knew this, the first century church knew this, to tell everybody they knew the gospel had to spread like wildfire. You couldn't run in to a Christian without hearing the gospel. That's how you stop this stuff. We need more laws. That's only going to stop those that listen to the laws. The drug war that we have in our country stops when 15% of our country stops wanting drugs. How do you do that? How do you stop demand? Tell people about Jesus Christ. Get them saved.
So Phineas <laughs> did what he did in the Old Testament, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, because that's what they did. We had the law. You didn't, you didn't follow the law. That's what happened to you. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among, you, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That was meant to be after verse 27, and I skipped it. But the grumbling and the complaining distances you from God, which opens you up to Moabites, which opens you up to wrath. I mean, it is a progression. So what part of this do we control? Well, I'm not going to sleep with a Moabite. Well, that's good. Let's just not grumble and complain anymore. That's even better. That goes further on back in that chain of sin. In uh, Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 9, this is the story. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. That's, that's where they stalled. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Why? Because he's a jealous God. You're my bride. I saved you. I've done nothing to deserve this. You're committing spiritual adultery against me. This isn't okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you, kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas and the, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000 people. It's a lot of people. That's how many had fallen away. That's how many had decided that they'd had enough of this God and, and thought so lightly of their relationship with God that mingling and mixing with Moabites was, I mean, and even after the people are weeping and crying at the tabernacle, one guy has enough guts or stupidity to bring this woman out and, and to flaunt it. Here I go. And he goes into his tent and finishes like, I'm done, and runs after him. Pretty rare to see something like that happen in our day and age, right? We get that. It's going to get a little more real right now. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. Mingle. That's all it is. They're not getting rid of God. He's there too. He's in the back pocket of the nation of Israel. We're just mingling, mingling. 
trying other gods on for size, mixing in some of their rituals with our rituals, some of the things God has taught us, and some of the things the Moabites taught us too. It's still truth. It's their truth. Interfaith, not denominations. We'll talk about that in a minute, but interfaith is not of God. Interfaith is blending Christianity with secular humanism. Christianity with Buddhism, Christianity with astrology, Christianity with Hinduism, Christianity with Islam, Christianity with Scientology, Christianity with New Age, Christianity with atheism, if you can believe that. You cannot mingle your faith in Jesus Christ with anything from this world or any other religion. It's not okay. God demonstrates that not only in this section that we're reading, but throughout the Bible. It's entirely about one relationship with one God. When we blend all these things together and try to get a a soup of spirituality in our lives, I do a little meditation with my crystals over here. I do a little bending and flexibility over here. And I go to church on Sunday too. Throw that in for good measure. Got just a wonderful, well-rounded interfaith What? You know that the whole Bible ends up with a one world religion. How do we do that? How do we do that? We water down everything to where nothing is potent. Nothing is obvious. It's all just this soup. Interfaith. Denominations are different. Some people don't understand that. Denominations are those who assemble in the name of Jesus Christ under different names. We're not talking about doctrines. I certainly have problems with a lot of doctrines of other denominations for sure. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about interfaith, another God, a different religion altogether than Christianity. Assembling in the name of Allah, assembling in the name of yourself, assembling in the name of anybody other than the name of Jesus. Okay? The nation of Israel is guilty of that right here. They're mingling their faith. It's a very dangerous place to be. And God doesn't accept it. Can you blame him? I don't want Jenny mingling herself with other men. That's not okay with me. Nor does she want me mingling with other women. We're married to Christ. He is our only. And when I begin to mingle, I get worried when guys tell me, oh, I'm just window shopping. I'm just looking at her. I mean, I'm just, I'm just admiring God's beauty in her creation. No, you're not. You're lusting after her. And you're mingling your marriage with her. And you're committing adultery by letting your eyes go there. You're, it's adultery. That's all it is. Call it what it is. Quit calling it window shopping. In the same way that people do that, they do that with their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is so perfect. He's so beautiful. He's the only one that's ever loved us the way we should be loved. We're called to be loved by this, by God. I mean, he's, He made us. He did the unthinkable by dying on the cross. We're going to have communion to remind us of how much He loved us. And when I look at that, I say, yes, that's so great. Just a minute, I've got a date with another God really quick, but I'll be right back. That's not okay. 
We can't mingle. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance. Verse 41, and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their, in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. This happened over and over again. If you want to know what that's like, you can read the prophet Hosea. He was called by God to marry a prostitute. He had to buy her several times off of the prostitute auction block. He said, this is what it's like being married to you. I love you and I care for you and I always look out for your best, but you continually run away from me after these shiny men and I have to buy you back from them every time. They do nothing but mistreat you when they get a hold of you and I buy you back time and time again. In uh, 46, as he takes care of them and multitude of mercies, he also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Now, he, 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 Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, one of the first scriptures God ever showed me when I first got saved. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? And of course, the writer here, the proverb writer, is just simply saying, do you think that you're going to be different from anybody else in the world who's ever tried to sin and not get touched by the sin? And we do. We actually have that conversation in our head. It's going to be different for me, or it's going to be different this time. And it's the same habits. It's the same ritual. It's the same going around the mountain again. You cannot take fire to your bosom. You cannot bring sin into your life and not be burned by it. It will burn you every time without fail. So he concludes with these two verses. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. First, or 2 Corinthians 6.17, speaking of being separate. He's called us to be separate. Gather us from among the Gentiles. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. We're called to this, not to mingle. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, which means set apart but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 22. But in a great house, 
There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We are vessels. You can hand out communion now. This is probably a pretty good segue into that. We break our glasses at the end of communion, these little plastic cups, because we consider ourselves these vessels. We consider ourselves those in this world that carry Jesus wherever we go, the gospel. And we're broken vessels, but we've been healed, but we've been taken care of by the Lord. He's fixed us. Thank you. Removed sin from our lives. So we're whole again. God, God never wants us to be used for anything other than His holy purposes. We're not to contain anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ in these vessels. That's what I share. That's the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. It's a very clear message. It's a very simple message, and yet we can model it somehow by thinking we can mingle with this. I mean, imagine if I told you one of these cups has some rat poison in it. I'm not going to tell you which one. What a horrible thing to do to communion. No one would want it. And, and that is what, that's what blending these other race or these other religions into our, into our walk with Jesus does to our faith. It poisons it. The healing power of Jesus' blood in our lives has to be just Him, just that pure blood of Christ, faith in Him alone. I need nothing else to have wholeness in my life. I'm complete in Him. Christianity is an a tool, along with many others in my life, that make me a whole and complete person. It is Christ. So as we hold this in our hands and we, we think about this and remember the time that Jesus was eating with his disciples and took the bread and broke it and gave thanks. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. He was telling them that I'm going to do the ultimate love sacrifice for you. I'm going to show you how much I love you. But through no fault of my own, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, for the things you did that were wrong. I'm going to take your penalty upon myself because I want you to know how much I love you. And likewise, that night he took the cup that they were drinking from. He said, take and drink. This is my blood that's shed for you, the blood of my new covenant. The new covenant isn't like the old covenant with Phineas is running around with javelins. He's not only the judge, but he's also the justifier. He's our lawyer. He's our advocate. He says, I'm going to shed my blood and it's going to expunge your record. It's going to clear you from all guilt. I'm going to take it upon myself. Take and drink as often as you drink this. Do this in remembrance of me because we need to be reminded about how much he loves us. We're looking at the death of our best friend, as he calls us that, friends death of our Father, the death of our Savior, the death of our Lord, the death of our King. All of this is wrapped up in this one moment right here. 
He needs to rule in our lives. He needs to be our closest confidant. He needs to be our counselor. He needs to be our spouse. And we need to be faithful. And so as we eat and drink this this morning, let's, let's think about that a little bit. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this cup, for this time we get to have to remind ourselves and to be continually reminded of your love for us, what you did on the cross, how you saved us, how you, how you bought us. Lord, we never want to stray from that. We never want to leave your covering, your shadow. We want to be near you and close to you. So Lord, help us to walk with you, to, to not try to mingle what you've done for us and what your word says with anything else this world has to offer. They're just lies. They're just things that they water down. We just want you. So we commit our lives to you. We give you our hearts. We're wholly yours, completely yours. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see. For those who are watching online and uh, you're able to get here this week, tomorrow we leave the church open and the communion is set up for you to come in and take it on your own to receive it. So just so you know, that'll be available to you tomorrow from, we usually get it open around 11 o'clock in the morning until uh, about six o'clock at night. So, or seven o'clock or whenever we get here to shut the doors. So that'll be available for you. Um, Ready? One, two, three. Um, Have a good week, guys.